Hello to all the Hear the Dancers out there. I assume that's what you're called, the loyal listeners of this podcast. I'm Jared Angle, a principal dancer with the company and today's guest host. I assume that most, if not all of you, know where the name Hear the Dance came from. It's from a quote by George Balanchine where he said you should see the music and hear the dance while watching ballet, or at least while watching his ballets. I'm not sure he meant it as literally as in the ballet we are discussing today, where the only sounds are of the dancers' bodies, their feet, an occasional clap, or a slap of a hand on a thigh. The Ballet Moves was choreographed by Jerome Robbins in 1959. In the previous episode, I had the pleasure to talk to author and Robbins biographer Amanda Vale. Our conversation touched on Jerome Robbins and his life, his friends, lovers, inspirations, choreography, work on Broadway, to the history of New York City Ballet, politics in the 50s, the Cold War, even Italy in the summer. It really had it all and gave me a sense of Jerome Robbins at the time he choreographed this work. In this episode, we'll go from the studio and onto the stage with Moves, hearing about Jerome Robbins from people who knew him and worked on Moves with him and we hear what it's like to rehearse and perform this unique ballet. I spoke to Jean-Pierre Froelich, who currently teaches and rehearses the ballet with a company, and Sebastian Villarini Velez, who's currently in the cast. But first, let's meet someone from the original New York City Ballet cast of Moves. Diana White was born in Park Ridge, Illinois. She started dancing at age four and joined the Lyric Opera Ballet of Chicago under the direction of Maria Talchief at age 14. When she was 16, George Balanchine offered her a scholarship to the School of American Ballet. He invited her to join the New York City Ballet one year later. During her 20 years here, she was promoted to soloist and performed principal, solo, and core roles in over 50 ballets by Balanchine and 20 by Jerome Robbins. Since her retirement, as one of a select few repetiteurs authorized by both the George Balanchine and the Robbins Rights Trust, she has set and coached the works of both masters for major ballet companies and conservatories on six continents. I spoke with her from Houston, where she is currently staging Balanchine's Emeralds and Diamonds on Houston Ballet. Enjoy. Hi, Diana. Hi, Jared. It's nice to see you. What was your journey like with Jerome Robbins being in his ballets, working with the man? Jerry was always really interested in the young people that came into the company and I got called to his pieces right away. Whatever new piece that he was doing, I was called to. And I don't know, I just had a very comfortable working relationship with him. Something about my focus or intensity or who knows what. He, I was one of the Robbins dancers. That meant I spent probably five hours a day in the studio with Jerome Robbins because he had priority. Balanchine knew that Jerry's process was very different from his own. Jerry had a much longer, much more experimental way of working. And I don't know why, but I wasn't intimidated by him. And which is not actually my personality because I'm somebody who tends to be intimidated. I, of course, worshiped Balanchine like everybody else. And I loved Robin's pieces, but he just, he just didn't scare me. <laughs> I don't think his intention was to frighten people or make people uncomfortable. It's just, that was his process. And I think you had to kind of have a way of understanding that was his process and it wasn't personal in spite of the fact that some of his comments would 
sound very personal. It was just more his way of saying, I need you to be this so I can see my vision. Could you get a sense of why he would immediately just like a dancer and they could, you know, had no problems with him? Was it a, a talent thing, a work ethic, just a personality thing? Do you know what I mean? Combination of all of the above. And I mean, maybe, who knows, you know, maybe I reminded him of somebody that he enjoyed working with. He once gave me a gift that he told me was a pass along, something that Tanny had given to him and he gave to me. I'm not saying I looked like Tanny, but her repertoire was a lot of the repertoire that I was doing at, at City Ballet, like that, I guess that kind of type in a way. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he just saw that my commitment. I mean, everybody at New York City Ballet was committed. You wouldn't have been there if you weren't. But it was my life dream to work in that company. The Moves Group, we were younger members of the company, but also the last, like I said, the sort of the last group of handpicked dancers from, and we were trained very much, very intensely in Balanchine's, you know, uh, I don't want to say style, but to dance the way that Balanchine wanted us to dance and to work that way. It was do or die. I mean, I think that our generation we were not particularly well-rounded people in the sense of having backup plan or you know simultaneously pursuing college degrees or any of those kinds of things it was a little bit different in that way and I mean the theater was that way because that was the way it was under Balanchine and Robbins that was our world our world was the theater it was inside those doors you know from morning to night. Not that we were stupid or uneducated or any, or not worldly or any of those things. It's just that we really lived for that. Well, when you have the two best kind of, yeah. choreographers. <laughs> genius choreographers of the 20th century. Yeah, I mean, that's the pinnacle of an artistic life. So yeah, yeah. you would be crazy not to commit, I think. <laughs> premiered or he brought it to the company at a rather extraordinary time. Can you describe the world of New York City Ballet when you were rehearsing moves and when you were performing it? Yes, to say the least. You know, the fact that this was a ballet danced without music in Balanchine's company was something that was not lost on us. And our group, this particular group that was in moves, we were already sort of Robin's dancers, we'd already been dancing for him for five years, at least. So it wasn't as if we didn't know how it was to work for him. But we were, none of us were principals or so not none of us were even soloists. So we were definitely clay, you know. And well, I mean, I was so grateful to be working that way with somebody. Of course, we were all felt like so lost after Balanchine died. It was like most of us, I would say, you know, we were there because of Balanchine. He's the one who'd chosen us. We were, we had all spent time at SAB because we wanted to be in New York City Ballet because we wanted to work with Balanchine. And, you know, of course, everybody loved Jerry's works, dances, and 
all of that, but I think primarily we were in Mr. B's house and all of a sudden he was gone. <laughs> there was that feeling of, you know, he was still, Jerry was still very much there for us. Did it feel like Jerry was giving you guys a, a, like a, a gift in some way that you were able to focus and work on something that required so much concentration? Broad oh, sure. I mean, there was a, there were a combination of feelings, you know, because you always knew when you were working with Jerry that you were subordinate to his vision you know, you were sort of, you were his, you were the instrument that he was working with, but you were there to an, express an idea that was in his head. It just was a, it was a really different feeling. And I think, you know, when you were working with Mr. B, you didn't feel like you were trying to get inside his head. <laughs> and in Jerry's case, you really felt like you were inside his head, you know, with all, whatever ideas or thoughts or whatever was going on. And he was kind of telling you how to, how to think in a way. So you were sort of in there <laughs> in his mind. Do you remember what the rehearsal process for Moves was like when you started to learn? Well, the very first thing was the pas de deux. It was kind of funny because we got in the room and, and the first thing was the back up and that cobra. And I don't think, funny enough, I mean, that cobra position is all over the place now, but somehow or another, that wasn't something that people were doing. Can you describe exactly what happens when this cobra well, happens? The, the beginning of the pas de deux, the woman, she does, she chenets towards the man and she sort of collapses backwards. And then he, he lifts her up from uh, almost touching the floor and then, and then turns her body and sort of um, throws her face down on the floor. <laughs> and of course that's uh, shocking. There's a trick to it that, you know, the, the way the timing of the hand, you know, when you hit the floor, how hard you slap the floor. So it really looks like you've been thrown face down on the floor, not gently set there, which is of course what Jock Soto was actually doing. What's <laughs> <was> not, <laughs> never broke my nose. And then from that face down position, lying there and the audience is of course wondering, now what? <laughs> Did she get knocked out? The woman rises straight up like a cobra with her arms uh, over her head and the palms down and forward, but almost sort of in a 90 degree angle from the floor. And I just kind of had that back. I could just do that. You know, I could double over backwards if I wanted to. That was like what would have been probably a rhythmic gymnast if I'd been born in Russia. And um, I think Jerry just went, wow. <laughs> I never saw it like that before. So that's how I kind of sealed that I was gonna be doing the pot again. Before, Jean-Pierre said that it used to just be like a, a hover over the grounds because uh, people so. couldn't get all the way up, but you... Yeah, but now everybody does it. I mean, it, I don't know. It's just things are different now. So you do this Cobra and then you, you like pan the whole audience. Like you stare the whole audience down in this extraordinary position 
and then touch the floor. I think I felt like when I would do that, I felt kind of like periscope. If you think of like a, a periscope rotating in the, yeah. but yeah, like, and it's sort of an, uh, a little bit uh, like an insect, I suppose, in a way. It's like a sensing the space. There's something very sort of alien about it because it's this, you can't believe that this ballerina is in this position for so long in silence. Like yeah. it's, it just ups the tension level of this. Well, I think that's the whole thing about the the ballet, because first of all, you know, you get everybody walks out on stage and there's no music and the audience, you know, there's attention for the audience too, because like they have to be quiet. You can always tell the flu season immediately, you know, you know how it is when you're trying to be quiet, all of a sudden how you have to cough and, you know, so there's a certain challenge for the audience too, but the that first movement in the pas de deux when he throws her face down of course there's a gasp you know it's like an involuntary gasp from the audience i mean of course for the dancer then it's very interesting because you're hype you're much more aware of the audience than you ever are with music you you go into the music and you're in that world but with moves you're very aware of that black hole out there and the and the idea that there's people out there you know you can hear them i did this part of it for a while oh, i loved it loved it loved yeah. it um but i did it before they renovated the theater and then after they renovated the theater oh. and they added took the carpet out and added two aisles that are right. lit up with lights so now wow the parada was so much easier because there was those extra little lights in the orchestra pit. You didn't feel like you were in some space, like an outer space or something. Yeah, because at the end of the parada, doing the, the man does a double air turn, it was always like, I this could be it. I might just belly flop before because <laughs> it was so dark. But now it's a much easier. Yeah, well, I mean, that was the thing too. That was Jennifer Tipton lighting, which is so phenomenal, but her lighting, uh, it makes it hard to see. Did Jerry give you narrative cues for the pas de deux or for the ballet or any sort of backstory to think about or was it just physical? No stories, he would give imagery. You know, like this is like taking off your shirt and throwing it down or something. But he didn't say, oh, you're angry, you just had a fight uh, and or I guess the only thing that, for example, you would, I could think of in the pas de deux when he's, that moment where he touches the top of her head and he pulls her head back towards him, he's sort of like in watching Jerry do it, that, well, it's actually that I don't really remember him verbally saying it, but it was clear in his gesture that he was looking like, well, what is she exactly? <laughs> what is she and what can she do? You know, like, <laughs> it is interesting pas de deux because you don't really know, are they, if they're human. I mean, I think that it, the ballet definitely changed probably from his, well, not probably, but from his original 
idea. It was a different generation of dancers with sort of maybe a more visceral way of moving. And we were kind of more, um, with all that balancing training, you know what I mean? We were kind of like that, a different look. And so maybe it had a less of a human quality, like that real human quality that, I mean, that's what Jerry's ballets have. I mean, in a balancing ballet, they're angels dancing sort of, and in Robin's ballets, they're people dancing. But moves kind of had a little bit of that otherworldliness, I guess you could say. I don't know. Did you feel like you were encouraged just to be yourself? And, and did it feel like yourselves? Or did you feel like some other person well, I, or being? Or Well, I felt like myself in the pas de deux because I have a lot of nervous energy kind of bottled up. And being able to move like that it just, it was a way of getting that energy and intensity out. So I wasn't thinking, like they call it a combative pas de deux, but I don't even think for me, it wasn't so much about that, like a combative a, against my partner. It was just more like a woman who was just needing to get it out, you know, <laughs> like in a kind of a fierce way. Yeah. Well, because there's so many moments where you face each other and then like right in the beginning after you get off the yeah. floor and you do a big grand mama, kick your leg up as high as you can and stomp it down, staring at the guy. Yeah, it's like I said, I think they're each certainly uh, strong individuals with something to say. <laughs> yeah. you know? Like I say, that slamming the foot on the floor is like, I, I have a voice. <laughs> And then you have the the man does the solo, which he's still is very uh -huh. agitated. And then you're facing the back, not watching him. And then he has to do a stomp and a clap. And then you start your solo, which I think is an extraordinary bit of choreography because suddenly it's like your mood changes and you're almost in like slow motion. Yes, that is a moment of, I don't know, preening in a way because it's after that that she throws herself at him, <laughs> you know, in a way. She just runs across the, she's kind of preens a little bit. And then you take this dive, you know, it's sort of like, I trust you. And uh, you run across the stage, across the entire front of the stage and then just literally dive into his, and he's standing there and he's not reaching towards you. He's not saying, come here, baby, I'll catch you. If I recall, she just dives and then it- Actually, I think he's still facing back, looking down. So it's, it's all, it should look like a blind- Yeah, he just turns and catches her. Yeah. And so, but it's that, it's definitely, well, it's funny because I never thought of it that way. Because in a sense, she could just be diving off the stage <laughs> and, and he intercepts I never thought of it that way. Like, yeah. I, I know he's going to catch me. He better catch me. Yeah, yeah. He'll, yeah. Be, he'll be in trouble if he doesn't. Yeah, but I think it's a, and it's a trust, a trust thing. And he is there. And then you, you slowly, <laughs> then you slowly sort of embrace each other and then exit slowly off. Yeah, it's a way of acknowledging that you have, you, you know, you each have a voice and that you are a pair, that you're going to be together. 
like in so many Robin's ballets, moves has the the ballet steps that you need to use your technique and stuff, and then it has all of the non-balletic moments that he brings on stage, like running and right. you know we always say pedestrian moments. Do do you remember having to you know learn how to run like he wanted you to run for hours? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I don't. I think in some ways we probably must have looked really goofy. <laughs> especially the especially in the point shoes you know like running with your fists you know clenched and kind of because you can't really run like a pedestrian you can't you know in your point shoes but he wanted to have that sort of earthy kind of quality so that was definitely a challenge well the walking is not so hard I mean walking on your you know coming walking on heel toe rather than turned out and watch, walking in a natural. Of course, we have not pedestrian because we have good posture, but still. I mean, and that's how dancers walk in the street anyway. You can always tell. The posture, you can't get rid of the posture. And heels, like, when I walk, I, my daughter told me this. She's like, God, you make a lot of noise when you walk, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I was like, no, that was just my Jerome Robbins walk. <laughs> But yes, he certainly wanted us to have that naturalistic look. look. And at one point, after had been do doing the ballet for a while, he had Wilma Curley come in to coach me in the pas de deux. I mean, it had already been several years that we'd been performing it, but he, he had her come into the studio. And, you know, she kind of, in a kind way, I mean, I won't say she ripped, she was very direct, put it that way. And wanted to unprettify it. So he must have, even though he kind of had, like I said, taken this cast of dancers who were sort of, had a lot of plastique, shall we say, maybe he thought it wasn't working that way and it needed to get back a little bit more into that more visceral quality. Well, it's always interesting to go back to the, you know, the source material. Do you do that when you stage Balanchine and Robbins things do you go back to the earliest just to see even if it's not even if the steps are changed but just to see the always. original intent always for me what any video whatsoever of original cast you know even if the choreography has been changed that original intention is so that's so important to me you know yeah. and it's so fascinating oh yeah that's what I was going to say before because here I am in Houston and I'm staging Emeralds and, you know, I can't not show them that all those incredible films of Violet. And I, but what I said to them too is, but people of different generations move differently. We move, it, it's not just in a, it's not just in a ballet. It's not just how we move in ballet or how we move on stage. It's how we move, period. You know, if you look at, like if I'll look at an old TV broadcast, for example, you know, the people's body language oh, on the street and the way they converse with each other and the way that they would wait around, you know, that changes yeah. too. Yeah. Not just not just in the ballet style. I love that. You know? I was thinking yeah. about something similar in moves because it is silence. And I remember when I was doing it, um, 
the beginning, the first step that everyone does, it's in this certain rhythm. And it just yeah. so happened to be the same rhythm as some um, pop song that was out. So uh -huh. I was next to Gina and we would always sing the pop song as we were like going over the steps. And then I was like, Hi. so that pop song from whatever, 2000 something was in my head. And then I was like, what were the, what was the cast listening to in 1959? And so I found all the top hits from 1959. Oh, yeah. I just love the idea of like them, you know, listening to this 1950s doo-wop music or Italian hits. And that's, maybe they brought that, those songs. Oh, their own rhythm, their own, they were their yeah. own drummer, whatever you want to say. So um, yeah, I wonder how that feels to a young audience to see a ballet like Moves where their rhythm is different. You know what I mean? Does it seem, does it Maybe. feel dated? Does it feel strange? Does it feel, you know? I would think it would be almost more accessible because it's not like, oh, I have to listen to classical music. It's like, well, you're, you're only looking at bodies and- That's true. You know, these yeah. 12 people come on stage and come right down and look at you and you have to right. pay attention. So maybe it's, yeah. maybe it's a good starter ballet for young audiences. I would think, and it's, you know, it's not, it asks a lot of the audience. And I think that what you're saying is probably a very good point to make. What was the reaction from the original City Ballet cast? Did you all love doing it? And also the rest of the company, what was their reaction? Oh, I don't have no idea what the rest of the company. Well, I'm sure they appreciated it. I mean, I have to tell you that we had to go through a lot with, with Jerry. I mean, so of course I love doing it. I mean, it was my first big break. But I think over time, of course, you know, I don't think it was a ballet that people got excited and looked forward to dancing because it wasn't, you know, serenade, the music isn't sweeping you away. You don't leave that stage with the sense of having been carried away by the music or anything. It's, it's like you, you've done it. I mean, there's a satisfaction of having done the ballet well, but you have to conjure your own you have to conjure your energy and you're in the service to Jerry's vision here. And you don't have the help of- Tchaikovsky. <laughs> you know, you don't have that. It is also, as I recall, it, it takes a lot of concentration and it takes a lot out of you because you have to be so aware, looking at everyone all the time. As you said, you can't rely on music. So it does, there's a sort of draining quality to it. It is a bit draining. You feel accomplished, but you're like, wow, that was super intense. Yes. But there's also, you know, there is a sort of um, coolness about the community because you are so hyper aware. You know, I mean, I feel like having done moves with the particular cast, I mean, there's a certain bond that we all shared, you know, and still share to this day, I suppose, for having been that tuned in to each other and for that period of time and you're all on stage and sort of there is a kind of a bonding that takes place. I do have very vivid memories of who I was with in moves at certain points right? more so yeah. than any other ballet maybe that's why. Yeah. That's funny. I think I'm really grateful for the ballet. I'm grateful for 
the fact that it was sort of my quote unquote first big break and my first pas de deux and all of that aside, because obviously that was big, that was a big deal to think that Jerry trusted me to do that. And, you know, like I said, I mean, I had, I was in the core. So that sense of trust of being cast in that role with that big responsibility gave, that also made me feel a very strong connection with Jerry himself, you know, and um, plus just all you learn when you go through that process of body language and what it means and how much you can project or how to just sort of be on stage, how to be present, you know. If you had any sort of stage fright or insecurity, I feel like this would make you confront it and hopefully get through it. Not you, but one, if one is, especially if it's a a young cast. I did have stage fright. I mean, serious stage fright all my entire career, you know, and yeah, I had to tame, I had to tame it. I remember lying on the cot in the dressing room before the premiere, just sick to my stomach, you know, cause here I was, had to, was gonna go out there with that being exposed in that way. And like, not that I didn't trust Jot, but all I could just think, you know, you start thinking of all the things that could go wrong, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and even holding that arabesque unsupported in the, in the triplet section, yeah. when they're a bunch of the dancers have partner and you have to just be by yourself in an arabesque without wobbling. So I guess, yeah, I mean, that did give me a skill, mm. learning how to master that. Yeah. Did you later do the tall, the tall woman in rubies? Oh, yeah. Oh, so maybe that helped with your ponche later on. And, I ha- and prayer and uh, harlequinade, uh, good fairy. <laughs> I did lots of punchy arabesques on stage and I learned how to do it without wobbling. <laughs> Thank you so much, Diana White, for, for talking with us about moves. It was really it's enlightening. Been my, it's been my pleasure. It's interesting to look back on things, you know, and it, it haven't really thought about that ballet in a while and, and sort of rethinking back to also who, who I was as a person while I was doing Oh, yeah. Doing it, you know, and working in that. Well, that's such a such an intense time in a dancer's life, like, you know, early 20s when you're being pushed and you're getting solo roles, but you're also probably performing in the two other ballets at night in the core. Right. Yeah. You spend, you know, 10 a.m. to 11 p.m. at night, you know, at the theater all day, go home just to sleep. It's a really intense, amazing time, though. It is. It absolutely is. Jean-Pierre Froelich is a repertory director of New York City Ballet and taught me, as well as the current cast of Moves, this and many other ballets. He also taught me ballet class this morning. Jean-Pierre, or JP, was born in New York, attended the School of American Ballet, became a soloist dancer with the company, and danced for both Balanchine and Robbins, before eventually becoming a steward of the Robbins repertoire and setting his works here and around the world. His much more comprehensive biography can be heard in episode four of the podcast, where he discussed the ballet Opus 19, The Dreamer. I just wanted to get right into our conversation. Thank you, Jean-Pierre Froelich, for joining us on Hear the Dance. 
When did you start staging Jerome Robbins' ballets? Was it when you were still dancing or just after you retired? It was, um, it was the tail end of my dancing career. I always felt very comfortable with Jerry, and Jerry always used me in a lot of his pieces. So I was injured at the time, and Jerry just finishes Jerome Robbins' Broadway, and he was doing a retrospect of his choreographic life at New York City Ballet. And eight months before that, I told Peter and Rosemary, I said, I would like to really join the staff and help Jerry with his ballets. Eight months went by, never happened. So by chance, I bumped into Jerry Robbins at the stage entrance. And we were talking, he said, how are you? I said, I'm a little injured right now. And I said, you know, if you need any help with the festival, I've danced a lot of your ballets. He said, yeah, I need somebody. Why don't you come on upstairs and have a rehearsal? So that's how it began in, in the rehearsal. There was um, a dancer that couldn't understand or couldn't get what Jerry was asking for. And I just gave the correction and Jerry, and it worked. And Jerry said, that's right. And after that happened, he told me to come to all his ballets while I was still dancing. And then during his festival in 1990, his retrospect festival, Jerry ended up giving me ballets and putting me in charge of like five ballets right off the bat. That's a lot of ballets. Yeah, right just not like assisting or, or shadowing somebody. It was like, okay, it's yours. It's yours. But he was alive, so that made life easier. Did it come with a, a sort of a, a Bible of choreography and corrections and counts and all that kind of stuff? Or did you just have well, to watch a video and use memory and... I got notes from certain, like Sally Leland. I was basically taking her ballets over. Mm. So I would ask if she had any old notes, but uh, sometimes when you see someone else's notes, you can't decipher them that well sometimes because you did not write them. So there's a certain way of writing your own notes. So I was studying videos and Mm. writing it all down. So you first assisted Jerry on moves in 1993 at the Paris Opera Ballet. He was going to Paris almost every year to do one or two of his ballets. And I was there earlier in the fall doing the concert with him. And then they schedule moves later on in the spring. So Jerry said, JP, I need you to do, because I want you to go and do moves. So we started a little bit of moves at the tail end of the concert rehearsals in the fall, because he had some extra time. But it was just to see who would be right in the ballet. Uh, And then um, in the spring uh, of that year, uh, I went with Jerry, 93, and, and we put it together. And he said to me after it was done, because we, we did it in five days. We taught the whole thing in five days. Uh, and Jerry turned to me and said, JP, I, I, I've never t- taught a ballet and coached it in five days. Now what do we do? We have four more weeks left. So I said, you can go back to New York and I can stay in Paris and I'll just keep on rehearsing it. So anyway, he stayed in Paris. He decided not to go away to back to New York. And we just kept on rehearsing it. And it was hard on the dancers, I have to say, sure. because the ballets still no music. And we would close the curtain where the mirror is so they would not see each other or follow each other. So they would find their timing together so it's organically done. Towards the fourth week, they were having a hard time because they just 
couldn't rehearse it anymore. <laughs> sure. But then you got a, essentially like a four-week master class in moves. If you, I got you a four-week master class in moves and the concert. Many ballets. I got master classes with him. Did you video any of these rehearsals or just take notes or just, can you just he, no, I didn't hear video. His, his I, voice in your head for every single step that he... I could hear it and I, and my eye was being trained to think like him and see what he's seeing because now when I do a, a Robbins piece without him, I know exactly what's wrong with it and what needs to be altered and even the ones that I don't do, I see what's wrong with it <laughs> and what needs to be altered or, or, or fixed. But So it must be hard to enjoy the ballet sometimes. Sometimes it's hard. Enjoy. I always look at what they didn't do instead of going looking at the bigger picture and say, well, the audience doesn't really know that, but yeah. you do. But Did he talk to you about the the origin of the ballet, how it came about, what it was about, any, any kind no, of the backstory? No, he never really gave a backstory. He just... The only thing he told me was he had music at one point. He never told me who the composer was or what music it was, but he didn't like it, and he decided to do it without music. It was fascinating for that time period that you would have a ballet that had no music, but certain sounds you would hear, and it would have a certain rhythm. But at the same time, they would be so together in unison doing the movement even if they weren't facing each other. That's why you have to rehearse it more, a, a lot more than other ballets because you have to become, 12 dancers become a group of one and you have to all be on the same page and sense each other. When you watch moves or learn moves, do you feel like there's a narrative, a story? It's about relationships, it's about um, community, like a lot of his pieces, it's about a sense of belonging. It was done in the 50s so it's a sense of the period of when the young generation was trying to have a voice in society like the men's dance is kind of a combative kind of dance if you really watch it there's two men when their hands clasp like you know like two gladiators that are hooked with their swords let's say and they're they're hitting each other with their arms the men's dance is like a competition i find because of the pull and and the, and the take of, of that dance. And then the women's dance, I find it's very, um, it's like being on the beach. It's like being on beach, mm. the girl is circling in the sand. You've, you know, Jerry loved the beach. He would give, and I do the same, is, is you give her a sense of where you are. And is it sunny? If it's sunny, do you feel the heat on your shoulders from the sun? And there's a lot of, Let's say in the Potter that you dance, Jared, it's that moment also when you look at her hands, then you put your hand on top of her palm, and it's just a sensation of, of putting it there and just feeling the heat from her. I mean, it's all of those senses that he would bring into us to tune into, to sense where, where we are. But it's basically about relationships and community and wanting something breaking out of, of society and wanting a change. It's all those things, but at the same time, they're in practice clothes. So this can be anywhere. Nothing to me seems like it's dated at all. 
No, but it's interesting. If you look at, um, is it Chorus Line? I think it's Michael Bennett. He does that. They're all in the, not Chorus Line. Uh, no, it's a, when they're all standing in front. I think it's Chorus Line. It, it maybe I was wondering if it's that was. It's Chorus Line. If that was, if he... and, and I think Michael Bennett took that from Moose. You think so? I don't know because it's Moose has that right in the beginning, and Moose was before Chorus Line. <laughs> I was going to sure ask Michael, that, but I don't know enough about musical theater. I don't so. either, but uh, I thought of that right away when I saw Chorus Line. I thought of Moose right away. It's it's super Be interesting because it's the whole cast moves to the front of the stage and just looks at the audience. It's like they come in, they introduce themselves, you know, they acknowledge you, and they, yeah. To me, it's like a ritual. I think the whole thing's like a ritual. What words, when you rehearse this, come to mind when you're describing any of the movements that he that he said? Like Im imagery, like you said, on the beach for the women's dance or feeling the sun. Is there anything specific that you... He would say, if you're ready to move, wait another beat. <laughs> Meaning... <laughs> oh, don't rush like, it. Don't rush it. Meaning don't rush it. He would always say, when you're ready to move, it's probably too fast, so wait a count. Wait a beat. You want the audience to register what just happened and then the next thing happens but if you start to go too too a little too fast then the audience doesn't know what to look at like in the beginning when they slide out and then they the take whole, off the whole the course of, line yeah they each slide out slide into a out and then diagonal they, right, with their and, legs apart but then the first one does it and then the next one is is is, is a woman that does it but she waits about four slow beats but you have to let the first one go and let the audience take it in, even though it's just sliding, but it's it's like you used to say it's, you're slicing the room in half. Or you're you're just it's it's just you're pushing the air up. You're or slicing the air, but it's usually slicing the room in half. My favorite thing is this when you're ready to go, wait one more count. That's great. I like that slicing the room in half because it does feel like each dancer is like defining their own dance space. Right. And, and, and to feel that, that movement, feel that you're pushing the air as you're going up because we all sometimes do things with our joints instead of muscularity, using our muscles to, to make it happen. So it has more weight because there are certain ballets that Jerry did not let New York City Ballet do in the early stages uh, because he didn't feel this company had enough weight to their dancing. But then things changed. Different dancers started to come in. I think it was it was time. I think he was thinking about his legacy. You know, I'm, I'm guessing here, but Joffrey was really gone, not really doing moves anymore in New York, and they were in California, kind of. Not even, this was before they moved to Chicago. And I think he wanted to, he wanted to see his body of work. He always wanted to make sure he had at least 14 to 15 ballets on each season. He never wanted his ballets to go on a Tuesday. <laughs> and he never wanted them to premiere for the first time in the season on a matinee. I love rehearsing moves the day it goes in the afternoon before they do it at night because they have a sense of each other already. For the dancers and for teaching it, it's so much about timing and and reacting to what people are doing and being aware of and tempos. the sounds that people are making because uh if you go to a certain parts of the piece certain noises create the tempo you know in the boys dance when they all come out one at a time and they're supposed to do this big jump and they land with their feet together they they have to land and the landing has to make noise 
So they create the rhythm. So it should be land, 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 land. So they have to know when to take off to make to sure to get the, 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 the. That's hard. <laughs> it's very satisfying when it when it when works. it's done when it works. You have to run on when that person takes off. But hopefully that person that's taken off, the assemblage is just as high as the next person's because if you don't, if you all your assemblage at the same height and distance, you will all land like this. Like Sometimes yeah. you can get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that doesn't work. <laughs> Are you dealing with? tempos based on just like what you're seeing or did do you just have a feeling for it did he leave like a like a metronome marking for each section anything no like that? it's just a feeling because i know the ballet inside a note yeah it's just a feeling i have i know when it's right tempo when it's wrong your job is to to be the creator even though you're not the creator but mm -hmm. you have to think like the creator it's not about you it's about you being the messenger to give his imagination was fantastic. His ideas and his timing and his theatricality, he just knew what would work and what would didn't. But then he would do many versions to try to, to find out which one. And usually his first version was always the best. It was always the best. Um, because he wasn't thinking as much. He uh, watched in his surroundings constantly. He was always aware of what I remember being at the beach with him, staying at, at the house in the Hamptons, and a seagull would fly by where we were having lunch outside, and he said, look at that, JP, isn't that beautiful? You know, just to watch that thing glide like that, it's so beautiful, and then one day we were in Paris, when we were doing, actually, moves, we went to the Champs-Élysées to see the Royal Ballet, and we were having dinner before, and there was this woman alone in the corner in this restaurant, and the sun was shining through, and there was a strip of sunlight from the window across, across her face. And he said, JP, look at that. Isn't that beautiful, the way that light is hitting her? And, you know, we take things for granted. But he really took from what he was seeing and would put movement to the pedestrian. I feel like it takes a lot of attention to it's, get people to run correctly and yes, walk correctly. Yes, I'm having notes. a problem with some some dancers running with an urgency. It's like you're wearing sneakers and so, and you see your, give an example, you see something that belongs to you and someone's taken it and you're running to try to get it back or running after somebody. You have to have that, but at the same time, be able to stop after a certain amount of steps without having a jerk reaction afterwards, oh, so a freeze. rebound. It's like you're frozen. You're running, running, you freeze. That's and right. what I've been noticing, because uh, some of the ladies are having, they're using their arms too much when they run, and I told them, don't use your arms. Keep them, keep them to the down and use them a little bit, but if you have to, because they will be used naturally. But I'm noticing, uh, and I went back to an old video just to see it, and a lot of the ladies are running without their arms uh, because of that. I think it's easier if like the men are wearing flat shoes. I think it's easier to look like you're in a sneaker because yeah. you're in flat shoes. But something about the point shoe. But the point shoe that they wear, they don't wear hard point shoes. Yeah. So years ago, because of the timing of things, like in the girls dance, we they used to take the timing from the girl from the sound of her point shoes. 
because mm-hmm. years ago we didn't, they weren't having freeds. People all wore copizio punctures oh, and they were very loud, hard. Loud so you'd hear the step, step, yeah, yeah. step, step, passe, verba, step. And now with softer shoes, you don't really hear that. And your audience needs to hear that sound because it's the music. Yeah. When you think about it, you know. Well, encourage them to put jet glue on their shoes to make it louder. Yeah, really. <laughs> Do you notice like a, a change in dancers when they rehearse moves or like a confidence or a difference like bringing what it out What I find people? with dancers, uh, a lot of dancers, sometimes dancers come up to me upset that they weren't asked to be in a Robbins ballet or they haven't danced enough Robbins ballets. But I think da- dancers love dancing moves. They, they love it. I had dancers this season that became soloists asking to stay in it. And you feel, I don't want to use the word special, but you feel like I felt when I did Agon. I felt I've arrived at New York City Ballet dancing Agon. I finally made it. Because to me, Agon or Four Temperaments or Apollo or certain black and white ballets, it's, it's New York City Ballet. But I found that after Jerry passed away, I found the new generation here that they were just so willing and eager to be in his ballets. Absolutely. You, I mean, everybody, you know, you want to be a, quote, Robbins dancer. That's sure. what they say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've heard. Um, but I got upset when they used to say, oh, you're a Robbins dancer, a dancer. And I went, no, 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 no. I am, but I'm also a balancing dancer. <laughs> I did a lot of balancing ballets. It's just that I became a balancing repetitor, but uh, I mean, a, a Robin's repetitor. I only have really good things to say. Oh, good. Uh, the good, good, you know, the good stories. I mean, there are horror stories when he was, you know, when I was dancing, not to me, but I've seen. Yeah. But, you know, that's because I have a story. Okay. This is later on in his life. We're doing glass pieces rehearsal, and there was a young girl doing this second movement. And, you know, you have to sway side to side and you have to be all together. It's one of the hardest things that the ladies do. So we were rehearsing and he was screaming at this girl, screaming at her. And she started, tears were going down. And I was like, and I was getting really upset with Jerry. I was like, this is unnecessary, totally unnecessary. I didn't say anything to him. Then he walked away and then I said to this young girl, I said, listen, he's... He's going, getting old. It's not you. He's just upset with the situation. He's just really, it's just, he, if you meet, if you met him outside the theater, he'd be a different person. But when he's in the theater, there's something about when he works, he gets frustrated with himself, mostly, not you. Mm-hmm. Like, anyway, that was over. And then Patty McBride was watching the rehearsal. Patty McBride comes by and says, hi, and I'm standing there. And he turns to me and Patty and said, I treated that girl terribly. I feel so bad. But he just couldn't stop himself at the time when it happened. But uh, he knew his demons. Yeah. He knew his demons. He just couldn't control them sometimes, you know. And and when he got older, he he, he, um, calmed down a lot. Yeah. Because I remember when my wife worked with him in Paris, and then when she came here to dance with New York City Ballet, she said, that's a Jeff and Jerry Robbins. Oh. <laughs> He's much nicer here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, it's even like dance partnerships. Like, you can be 
not that I've had one, but you see people fighting, and then they do a show, and it's amazing, and it's like you're my best friend, you know. Yeah. Once yeah. it gets on the stage, all all things are forgotten. Yeah, but sometimes people need that to get the juices a little, a little going. Push, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe Jerry needed that. Sounds like a lot of work to me. Yeah, it is. All right. Thank you so much. Okay, you're welcome. Sebastian Villarini Velez was born in San Juan, Puerto Rico, where he began his ballet training. In 2010, he moved to New York City to attend the School of American Ballet. In 2012, he became an apprentice with the company. In 2013, a member of the Corps de Ballet. And in 2018, he was promoted to soloist. He was a recipient of the 2019 Lincoln Center Emerging Artist Award and this season, among many other ballets, he is appearing in Moves. Sebastian Villarini Velez, welcome to Hear the Dance. We're talking about Jerome Robbins' ballet Moves. Had you seen it before you danced in it? I'd never seen it until it went a couple of years back, I believe, yeah. I, it was like, learning it was my first exposition to it. Did you understudy? moves or were you in the cast whenever it, it came around so i was understudying a few parts we were a bit short staff for this ballet last time it went and then one of the dancers went out and i got to do the last like two shows of it yeah um, so it was kind of like an emergency last minute <laughs> that's situation a, that's a stressful we call you know call it getting thrown onto a ballet situation yeah it was more challenging in the men's dance. There's a section where we have to do this step in unison, and it's very on the music. Uh, not on the music, because it has no music, but we create this sort of, like, beat to it, and the person I was understudying was in front, so I couldn't rely on watching anyone. It has, like, a small variations here and there. It's not the same step repeated, like, twice. It, sometimes we cut it short halfway through. Sometimes we extend it, so... That was probably the scariest part of going into that role. Would you describe the rehearsal process of moves? Does it feel just like learning any other ballet, or does it feel foreign? Yeah, so I remember the first time I went into it, it required a bit more time because there were a lot of new people going into it. And so we're used to having this kind of like chaotic, like, uh, mood when big ballets come around where you hear the piano and you have people counting, you have people discussing the steps, but in this this time around, there's no there's no music, there's nothing, so you literally hear like a pin drop. So when every other ballet goes that has straightforward counting, you're usually backstage counting or listening to the music, you know your next cue. Like, for this piece, you have to be in the moment concentrated on watching what's going on on the stage um, because those are visual cues that you pick up on to know when to come on when to start the next step so it feels it feels a little bit more interactual with my peers rather than me being in my own journey knowing the counts listening to those musical cues so it kind of taught me how to be one with the environment and it was very similar to Merce Cunningham's Summer Space, which we just performed, because we also rehearse it in silence, and you don't listen to the music until when it comes. So there are no counts, there's no musical cues. You're just kind of in a trance with what's going on on the stage so that the ballet organically moves forward. Did you premiere in Merce Cunningham's Summer Space last night? Yeah, yes. 
how did it go? It went pretty well. <laughs> so you rehearse Summer Space in silence. Mm -hmm. You rehearse moves in silence. But then Summer Space gets music added on. I actually had this hobby where I used to watch Soul Train and then overlay it with like random music. So that's kind of what Summer Space feels like. Like you could put any score over it and the dancers, it, it definitely won't feel or look like the same ballet, but it, it has this organic way of adapting to whatever the orchestra is playing. So that's in that sense, it's a little bit different than Moves because Moves is very structured and it does have counts. The piece starts off with you being the very important person, I think, that starts <laughs> off the first, <laughs> yeah. the first rhythm, the first tempo. Yes, so the ballet starts with all, almost the entire cast, except I believe it's one or two dancers, um, walking across the stage, and then we settle down. We do a quick pose with a tondu bag with a leg to the back, and then I do these four beats with my mouth, which is kind of like... So that sets the tempo up for this phrase that everybody starts at different, like at different moments. It's kind of like a canon, but they all do it in that same pattern, that same rhythmic um, sense. So the whole cast is facing the back. Yes. And you do the four sort of beatbox. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> beatbox mouth sounds. Yeah. And you're the first to turn around. Yeah, I'm the first to turn around. In ballet, we're trained to not make any sounds with our feet, be quiet, so you can hear the dance, so you can mm -hmm. just hear the music. But in moves, you have to consciously be loud in a lot of moments. Is that difficult to, to, to do, to get your body to make sound and put that heel down with, you know, with yeah. force? It's different to the way we, we train every day because we're taught to sort of be very light and on our toes in order not to make any sounds. But in a sense, it's, uh, it's a different approach because it grounds you and you know where your weight is. Like you, there are there aren't any um, like stumbling moments. But when it comes to doing those sounds, you just plop your foot on the ground and you just go and hope you make a sound. <laughs> it feels like there's a bit of a bit of like gameplay in this. It's like you're playing with each other. You're there's moments where people run and like tag yeah. each other. Does it feel like playful or fun at all <laughs> yeah no it, it really does it really does especially in that part in the tag part like i know there's this one dancer that always picks me up from the wing so i'm always like being like yeah here come come like kind of like calling him to me but it does it does feel playful and there's also that section in the finale where we're all kind of like pretend tagging like counting um, we have different counts and we're all in a little clump and we move a different different parts and I think it's an inside joke that we're all waiting to see who messes up. <laughs> I watched rehearsal and there was moments where people were trying to suppress laughter yes. and I, I wonder if that all the time ever I mean it happens all the time in yeah. lots of ballets but has that ever happened in performance of moves? Yes it, it did happen so that specific part that I was talking about there's two groups of people there's A and there's B um, my specific group is A, and we move on like one, five, and then one, two, seven. The other group does something different, but after we're done with those two rounds of eight, we're all supposed to like jump into the same position by putting like one hand over your eyes and another one on the cheek. And there was a show where a dancer skipped an entire move and just went straight to that last position of one hand over the eye and the other to the cheek. 
and they just decided to kind of like slowly lower themselves and hide within the clump and you can see if you watch the video i'm watching them and my shoulders are kind of <laughs> moving to suppress the laughter so that's why i say like everybody's kind of looking to see who messes up what is the name for the the section with you and Roman Mejia in the in the back. The name of that section, I believe, as a whole, is I think it's the angry part of the. the that's, angry part that's of what that. I've heard. Yeah, like, so this angry couple is dancing. This angry couple is dancing in the front beautifully, I might add. <laughs> um, and there's one couple where it's two girls on stage, right, and then two male in stage left or vice versa, and we're doing like a contrasting sort of slow movement the movement that roman and i do is very slow i kind of compare it to like walking on like a uh, on one of those uh ropes like tandem like from from one building to the other like uh, yeah trying trying to like balance you know how they move really really slow tight, um, tight rope tight rope yeah tight rope and we're sort of doing very challenging stretches we do like almost like something comparable to like a yoga pose and we're partnering each other um, my partner has the hardest part, too. <laughs> I go down onto, like, a deep lunge fourth position to try and make his life easier. <laughs> um, and he puts his leg to the front facing me on my shoulder. And then he's supposed to turn his body going to second position and then all the way to, like, the arabesque where, like, his leg is in the back. So we're both facing the same direction. And he has his leg on my shoulder. And then he's supposed to swing his arm up and over and make a clapping noise with mine and then on the other side so it kind of looks like the like i don't know a very it's, it's like a really mean trainer at a gym stretching yes. you out <laughs> you have roman's leg up behind him and yes. both of his arms behind right behind right, him right in an extreme stretch which is which is kind of curious because you know usually that's not the that's not movement that men usually do in classical dance and to have that like it has to be very slow very controlled and still making these these noises it's probably one of the hardest things i've ever done on stage we have to make it as quiet yet as loud as possible in a sense i don't know if that makes any sense <laughs> because we actually have to make noises but our movement needs to be sort of like a continuous line of movement, not really like any any rough or jerky movements. So it's finding that balance of when to make it loud and when to not make it loud. <laughs> this is a pot of Yeah. How does it end? So we're facing different directions, and we both reach with one arm towards the other at different times. And then after we're both done with that individually, we kind of reach towards each other and we walk away. We take a couple of steps with our arms reached out towards each other and we kind of just drift away. It's more of a longing for something or someone, you know, because there isn't like a, there isn't a specific story for this ballet, but there is kind of like a gentle, caring approach towards it. Um, and just the whole context of me looking out for his leg and then gently putting him on the floor. There is there there is like a caring kind of subtext to it. And yeah, I think it was very in a way ahead of its time to put, you know, even though we're in the bag, like to put this 
two two men doing like uh, helping each other and supporting each other. Do you feel like you're creating your own world minus an audience, or are is this does this whole thing feel very like I am performing in this space for this audience now? There's a lot of world building and this ballet that we do on the studio and then obviously once we rehearse it on the stage but we kind of create our own atmosphere so it's been established beforehand and i think that we subconsciously formed this this atmosphere when we're doing this ballet because there isn't anything else that creates it like i said like the costumes don't tell the story the sets don't tell the story and neither does the music so we're even though it doesn't have a story per se, like we're we're still expressing ourselves through the b extreme bare minimum of just movement. There's also the dichotomy between doing proper ballet steps, like a single tour, mm -hmm. or which is a single turn in the air, or grand jetés, just split leaps, and then the actions that are totally not balletic at all. Mm -hmm. Actually, that's one thing that I that really attracted me to like Jer Robinson's choreography was the fact that he translated movements that anyone could do into a ballet context. But for example, in the opening, we pretend to take our sweaters off um, in different moments, like like very normally as an a graceful like, oh, I'm gonna take my sweater off. It's literally us stomping our foot to the ground, struggling to take this really tight sweater off throwing it and then running as if we were running down the street and stopping, which now that I think about it, it's a very shocking <laughs> image to see. <laughs> That's interesting because in the Balanchine right. technique, they often say when you're doing a, when you're moving your arms from, from down yes. to up to a high fifth position. You're supposed you're, to pretend to take a sweater off. Yeah, yeah. You, you cross your arms like you're taking a sweater off. Very gracefully. gracefully. Right here, we're, no, we were, we were kind of like aching to just get get something out, like off of us or express something or say something. And then we pretend to throw it down and then we run in a very pedestrian way. What else? You go through a whole series of sort of gymnastic warm-up yes. exercises. Yeah. I start when other, another dancer is about Lafreniere is done with her f second set of stretches. And my particular steps are I go into a big, like I separate my legs into sort of like a turned in second position, like parallel. And then I stretch to the, to the heavens and I bring my arms to the side and then I twist to the right twice. I twist to the left twice. I do that four times. And then I bring my feet together. <laughs> This is great for yoga if anybody's interested, by the way. <laughs> um, I bring my feet together. I roll forward, um, stretching my hamstrings, bend my knees twice, like bouncing almost. Uh, do that twice, and then I'm done. Does it feel like you're actually doing these actions? Oh, yes, yes. I'm, so I'm, you're, not, you're not like doing a, a stage version of you know, and now I'm doing a stretch no, like you're actually No, stretching. I'm actually stretching. Maybe maybe there's some more flexible people. It feels more casual. But I'm thinking to myself, I should really do this more often. <laughs> Bring the ballet into your real life. Yes. <laughs> what is the sensation of, of being in moves? It feels very much so different. It feels serene yet suspenseful. Um, like you're almost like at the cliff or something. Like, 
like um, over the looking over, over the, the edge. edge of a cliff. Yeah. Actually, I, I went to a museum the other day and they were talking about this term called liminality, which is not when you jump off the cliff and not where you land, but in the middle. That's kind of what it feels like. Like you you jump from one point to the other and it's not the takeoff nor the landing. It's like an in-between, like you're almost floating in a sense in some parts. I think of being backstage and sometimes you're really tired, you're really silly, right. you're whatever. You're, you don't have to get cued into the performance until you step out there because you right. know the music is going to take exactly. you Exactly. And even the people I'd say have like the valley afterwards, they literally have to be backstage super quiet and not making sound so it's it's like in a sense the performance overextends to to the backstage area as well <laughs> oh and and dancers are not good at being quiet when there's a whole bunch of them warming absolutely up. not <laughs> we we occasionally get a big shh from the stage manager's desk yep <laughs> are you aware of your breath when you're performing moves yeah and yeah. do you do you try to not breathe too loud at certain points? Or? Yeah, I I usually tend to use my breath when I dance. Not that I'm, <laughs> not that I'm always like heaving on stage, but yeah, you you're mindful of everything. You technically feel stripped away from everything. Like you, know, you feel naked. You know, you're so exposed, and and even down to your breath. But I think that watching the first part of the, like, I hear, I can hear the dancers breathing because it's a very challenging and demanding part. But I kind of, I kind of like it. It adds, it adds this level of humanity to the dance itself that I feel like it's kind of like a fourth wall that by breaking it, we're, we're making the audience be like, yeah, we're, we're human. We breathe, we get tired, like. I don't know. It, it, it's comforting to me. I remember JP telling me that, and then you can corroborate this with him, but he said that Moose was supposed to represent what New York looks like. And in a sense, I think that right now it's very important to, to make sure that dance, in a sense, represents the world that we're living in. And for Jerome Robbins to have that thought, in mind, you know, with valleys like New York Expert Opus Jazz, West Side Story, and Moves, I think that it's a very powerful statement for us to attempt to represent what the outside world looks like within this beautiful jewelry box that we dance. Thank you so much, of Sebastian. Course. No, thank you, Jared. Thank you so much for joining me in this exploration of Moves. If nothing else, I've walked away with a new mantra. As JP said, that Jerry said, if you're ready to move, wait another beat.